CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday. It is time for Options Action. We've got a great show prepared for you. Here's what's coming up. If you're new here tonight... A big welcome to you. For a variety of reasons, interest in options trading is exploding. Now this game can get very complicated very quickly. But if you're ready to take it to the next level, this is the place to be. And if you're a regular viewer, well you know there's always something in the show for everyone. Tonight, the volatility mystery from the future. Two opposing ways to play the semi-sector, and how to keep digging when at the end of a mine. It's time to risk less to make more. Options Action starts right now. Well, as we just mentioned, uh, interest in options trading seems to keep growing by the day. So Bob Pisani has some interesting color on at least part of the reason why. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Good to see you. As always, option trading has sort of become the new sports betting Millions staying at home have discovered trading, and it's spawned a huge sub-industry in options trading in tandem with an increase in equities trading that really shows no signs of letting up. Really, the trends are amazing. Trading in equity options hit new highs in November. That's continuing a trend that began earlier in the year. Equity options trading is 50% above last year's levels year-to-date on all of the options platforms. Much of the trading activity has occurred in out-of-the-money call options, with much of it in day trading. In other words, buying in the morning and getting out in the afternoon. Analysts say that might make some sense. For example, if you're a retail trader and you only have a very limited amount of money to invest, buying cheap options at, say, $1 or $2 may make more sense than trying to buy a Tesla or an Amazon or even an Apple equity and trading that throughout the day. So if the stocks move, say, 5%, the value of many of these options may also move a similar percent, so you can make the same percentage with much less outlay of capital. Now, importantly, what could go wrong? Everybody keeps saying it's all great now. What could go wrong here? The markets have been in an uptrend. That's made call buying obviously profitable. If that uptrend reverses, this type of trading is certainly not going to be profitable. There's also, by the way, Melissa, considerable speculation that this kind of day trading may have a very limited shelf life regardless of the market trends. Many who are doing this now are younger and may have to start paying back student loans soon, for example. And when the pandemic is over, those staying at home will probably go back to work. But it's certainly a lot of fun seeing all of this retail activity. Melissa, back to you. It's great that so many out there are participating in the markets, that's for sure. Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani. Um, It also seems a little bit dangerous, Mike. What are your thoughts on on the surge that we're seeing? Well, you know, we actually talked about some of this type of flow earlier when we saw the Splunk earnings disappointment. And there was a lot of activity as people were buying these short-dated calls right after the stock fell precipitously. They were paying about two and a half bucks. A lot of those people actually did make multiples of their money within the trading day. But, of course, when you're doing that kind of trading, you know, it's kind of a very binary situation. Win or lose, you could potentially lose everything that you're betting if you're making those short types of uh, directional bets. And, of course, as Bob was rightly pointing out, when people are going to work, you know, usually you're not day trading from your desk. You can do that from home, perhaps. 
but not there. But the good news is that people are becoming more educated about the product and there are smart ways to invest using options. So I actually expect that while there could be some fall off, ultimately I think volumes are going to stay more elevated now that there are more market participants. And we have seen trends uh, that were already in place prior to the pandemic really take hold during the pandemic, Tony, and I think this is probably one of them as well. We had already seen an explosion in interest and activity in the options market. Tony. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, this is very interesting because sports betting and, and options trading are actually quite similar in nature. If you look at the way that sports books and I think we're having problems with Tony. Out of the money call options are really far are, are, are fairly. These really far out of the money call options are. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we got gotcha. you. Sorry. So these really far out on the money call options, they're more like lottery tickets than they are binary events, which most sports bettors are more used to. So the one thing I will point out here is that these short dated call options are very unsustainable in the long run. So for those investors that are looking to perhaps build a more sustainable options portfolio, I recommend that they actually watch shows like Options Action because the type of trades that we highlight here are, are typically a lot of spreads, which tend to be more binary type outcomes that sports bettors are more used to rather than those lottery tickets. Yeah. Carter, words of advice to the newbies out there? Well, well, we heard what Bob said. It's all done in one day, in and out. Uh, that's uh, high stakes poker, speaking of gambling. So do it the options action way. All a little right. time, a little more mm -hmm. thought. So if you're new to this options game, there are many more tactics you can employ beyond the basics. Case in point, hedges. And what better place to start than high-flying tech, semis in particular. So Carter, set us up for this. Right, so the thinking here is that um, a little too hot, a little too crowded, a little too popular, uh, a little too far above trend. Take a look at the first chart. There's simply uh, three comparative lines. You're looking at the SOX index, tech sector, and the S&P. So here we have the SOX up here to 51, tech up 37, and the S&P up 15. So basically threefold increase over the general market. All right, but what about the chart itself? Next chart, SOX itself just a steady orderly uptrend. Yet, you can see the trend line there, we're pretty far above trend. Take a look at the next chart, put it in a channel. We're at the top of the channel. It doesn't mean this has to crash, it just means that if you're long, it's time to trim, reduce exposure, and for new money, a small short. Final chart. Now this channel is not the one-year chart, which we were just looking at, this is the entire bull market since the 09 low. And what you can see is, like a pinball, we have bounced within this range as we've ascended and now we've come out through the top of the range. Extended, crowded, far along, take measures. All right, so Mike, what's the trade? Yeah, so taking a look at the semis, as Carter was just pointing out, I mean, just since the election, we've seen this sector outperform the broad market by about 10%. Since the March lows, by about 40%. Over the past two years, by about 90%. And this is a sector that we've often thought of as being cyclical and if we take a look at where a lot of that performance has come from it's come from multiple expansion we've seen the PE multiple of this particular sector outperform that of the broader market significantly so that's where a lot of the outperformance is coming from now granted I think there are some secular tailwinds we've got 5G that's a tailwind expansion in VR gaming and actually even work from home are potentially good reasons why some of these companies will be doing better 
but it does feel a little bit rich. It does feel a little bit extended to me. And of course, we can take advantage of the fact that implied volatility in some areas has come in a lot. So looking at the SMH, if you're looking to hedge or take a you know, risk-mitigated bearish position, I was looking at the February, the 200 strike puts, those were priced for just over $5, about 2.5% of the current level of SMH when I was looking at that earlier today. Now, you might be looking at those and saying, well, that's some bit out of the money. It doesn't have to go through that strike for this to be profitable if SMH rolls over before then. And by just trading a single put option, we have the opportunity to potentially spread or roll or something like that. So we're giving ourselves flexibility, keeping the trade fairly simple, and giving ourselves some time for this to play out. What if one out there is still looking for a way to get in on the semi-surge? Tony's got a name that could be right for a breakout when it reports earnings next week. Tony. Yeah, I want to take a look at Broadcom, which I think is actually positioned really well for 2021, especially with the growth of 5G phones and devices. Now, if you look at the Broadcom business itself, I think you have a very solid business. In 2020, they're expecting to, to generate about $11 billion in free cash flow. Management has really been executing pretty well on expanding into higher margin software businesses, which is now making up about a quarter of their revenue. And for all those reasons, I think it's trading at a very, val a very reasonable 18 times uh, forward earnings. So I think a very reasonable valuation and about three and a quarter percent dividend yield here is one of the strongest within the semiconductor space. So while I kind of agree with Carter's assessment that you know semis here are a little overextended here, I'm not too concerned about Broadcom as a business. And I think that next week they're going to report a pretty solid earnings here. Um, and if we look at the chart here for Broadcom, you have a pretty steady uh, uptrend here for Broadcom over the last uh, roughly eight or nine months. But this is a stock that actually has underperformed the SMH sector here over the past couple of months. But I actually think the earnings catalyst here next week is potentially what it could need to catch up here. So. If you look at the earnings announcement here so far, uh, the options market are implying about a 5.8% move, while over the last, four, last eight quarters, the stock has only moved about 4.2%. So the stock doesn't actually move a whole lot on earnings. So the trade structure that I'm looking to utilize here is taking advantage of the fact that right now implied volatilities for Broadcom are fairly elevated and I'm not expecting a big move to the upside here for Broadcom. So I'm going out to January and I'm selling a put spread here and I'm specifically selling the 410-390 put spread here, paying, uh, collecting about $20.70 to sell the January uh, 410s and paying about uh, $11.70 for the January 390s. Net net here I'm collecting about $9 on a $20 wide credit spread, which is about 45% of the width. So a fair amount of uh, income for the risk that I'm taking here for this credit spread. Yeah. Mike, what do you make of this trade? Yeah, so contrast what Tony is doing to some of the activity that Bob was talking about at the beginning of the show. Day traders trying to buy calls, reaching and hoping that a stock is going to move up in a very short period of time. Tony's trade doesn't do that. This is a trade that will actually profit if the stock just sits here and does nothing. If it goes up, obviously, it will profit more quickly. And to the downside, of course, you're limiting your risk to $11 a share, which is significantly less than if you went out and purchased the stock at his current stock price. And as he pointed out, while we were talking about SMH massively outperforming the broader market, that isn't true necessarily for Broadcom. So I like the trade structure, and I do like the company as well. Yeah. How about the chart, Carter? Well, you know, it's, uh, just to touch on that again, I mean, put this in perspective. Year to date, Vago's up 30% versus Semi's up 52. 
Over the three-year basis, Avago is only up 60%. The semis are up 130. Five years, the semis have doubled the performance of Avago. And yet Avago has killed semis on a long-term basis since uh, inception. So it's a perfect setup of a long-term semi-winner that has underperformed over the past one, three, and five years. That's the catch-up trade. That's so old school, Carter, to call it Avago. <laughs> Some habits die hard, don't they? <laughs> Broadcom, but it, it kept the tickers. It's confusing there. All right, we are more, by the way, than just a weekly TV show. Check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter. In the meantime, here's what's coming up next. Grab your magnifying glass, pipe, and deerstalker. That's a hat, by the way. Professor Sherlock Coe is investigating a volatility mystery. Because as the great sleuth once said, you see but you do not observe. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Just a few minutes ago, we talked about the explosion in options activity and why it's happening now. One reason is volatility, especially in the commodity space. Oil, copper, gold, they're all going wild. And with a potentially massive round of economic stimulus on the way, so is the U.S. dollar. If you're looking to protect your portfolio against an uncertain global backdrop but aren't quite sure how, you're in luck. The, prof the professor is here at this call to action. Mike, take it away. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. I was taking a look at the VIX index. That's one of the sort of typical indices that we look at when we're thinking about volatility. And of course, the spot VIX has dropped considerably since we saw those big highs back in March. And it is poised potentially to drop below 20 before we get to Christmas. But if you take a look at the longer term VIX futures going out about six months, what you're going to see is that they still remain considerably elevated. And of course, you might wonder, well, why is that the case? By the time six months rolls by, we're going to be past the inauguration. By that time, presumably, vaccines will begin to be distributed. It's possible to me that if we are looking at the situation, that maybe what's going on is more macro. And what we might be dealing with is basically dealing with the cure rather than the symptoms itself. And if we take a look, as you were just pointing out, at commodities like gold, that's another one of those places where we see forward volatilities elevated. We do in GLD, for example. And one of the things that often corresponds with elevated volatility in commodities, unlike with equities, is actually rising prices. When you see spikes in things like oil and natural gas, gold, silver, things like this, oftentimes that's accompanied by elevated volatility. So if we see forward elevated volatility, it could be potentially bullish for the metal. So what, of course, is the opposite side of that trade? the U.S. dollar. And of course, when you think about everything that's being done right now to essentially deal with the situation that we're in, a lot of that is potentially bearish for the dollar. Now, you may remember, if you've been watching before, that Carter and I outlined a bearish trade on UUP. And some of you might be wondering whether now that we've seen it decline, we might be unwinding that position. I, for one, am not inclined to. So if you did not participate in that trade, what I'm looking at is out to June, the 24 strike puts. You could spend about 45 cents for those. 
essentially that's a way to put on a bearish bet on the dollar. Now bear in mind, of course, that if what's going on with our economy to basically depress the value of the dollar potentially is going on in other economies in the sort of basket of currencies, then you might see on a relative basis that you might not get quite the move that you would expect if you do see upticks and things like inflation. But I do think that the same things that we're doing to essentially support the economy, both on a monetary basis, on a fiscal basis, are bearish for the U.S. dollar. I mean, the Dixie is already down 3% in the month of November, is on track for its worst yearly performance since 2017. And, and Carter, you see downside still ahead? Sure. I mean, the point of putting that UUP trade on and walking through the dollar charts, I guess, a week or so ago was that we're at a critical juncture, the 92 level on the DXY index, and we've broken hard. A break like this is hard to stop, and uh, really, ultimately, we think we get down to the levels in the dollar seen in 2014. Tony, what do, you, what do you think of Mike's trade? And there are many, many ways to play a weak dollar, not just uh, a rise in commodities. Yeah, absolutely. So just uh, just a comment on the on the trade itself, you know, the fact that if you did place that first trade, this is a great example of how you can roll some of the profits from the March puts that Mike had into a further dated uh, put option here going out to June. And the fact that, you know, as Carter said, we broke $92 on the Dixie, uh, which is about 25 on the UUP. I think we're headed down to about 23 and a half. So I, I particularly like this trade. But to Mike's comment earlier about the fact that if other currencies also debase and devalue their currencies, you may not see dollar decline as much. One of the things that you can do and one of the things that we have done here on Options Action is we've diversified this short dollar trade. We have a long FCX trade, which is also in the very similar vein. We also are long EEM. So I do agree that you necessarily don't, you shouldn't necessarily have all your eggs in one basket and short UUP, but also take a look at long gold, long emerging markets, FCX. These are all other ways that you can diversify this particular trade. And just a comment there on VIX, the VIX term structure here. I think the reason that you have spot VIX so low here is because in the very short run, there's a lot of optimism with vaccines potentially two weeks away. You have a peaceful transfer of power into the new year. And consumer spending is pretty strong here. But as you look towards three to six months out, Equity markets, I think, are priced to perfection here. And you know there are concerns as to whether consumer spending will still continue at the same pace. Uh, you know Everything from delinquency rates on, on loans and whether or not distribution of vaccines will go as smoothly as we think. And I think those are the reasons that if you go longer, uh, three to six months out on the VIX, you're seeing those elevated premiums. Yeah, quick last word, Mike. Yeah, I think one other thing we also have to wait and see about, of course, is that most big equity market declines are basically come from the credit markets first. And I think we're going to see a much better window on what's going on there as we go into the new year than we have lately when there's been a lot of support and basically deferrals and things like that on payments. All right. Up next, as Tony mentioned, Freeport McMoran digging up big gains lately, and that's great news for one of our traders. I'll tell you why and what rock to look under next. Plus, we're taking your tweets. Send us your questions at Options Action. We'll answer some of them on air. We'll be back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at one of our open trades. A few weeks back, Tony took a shine to mining stock. Report Mac Moran. This stock peaked at around 2014, about $40, declined 90% down to $4 in less than two years, and now is one of the strongest stocks in the S&P 500. And it's just on the verge of a massive breakout here above the $20 resistance level. So from my perspective, I see an upside target here of about $24 here in the next two to three months. The trade structure I'm looking to use is going out to February, giving me about 90 days worth of time, and I'm buying the $20, $24 call vertical here, spending about $2 for the February $20 call options and collecting $0.75 cents for the February $24 calls. That trade turned out to be solid gold, jumping well into the green. So, Tony, this one expires in February. What are you doing to it? Yeah, so like I said, my price target here was $24 over about 60 to 90 days out. We've exceeded that. So when you have a trade like this on a debit spread where you've exceeded the upper strike, you really have two possible options. First of all, you could just take the profits and run. Right now, we're up about a little over 100, 120% on this particular trade, and there's nothing wrong with taking profits and, and being comfortable with that. But there's, you can also turn what is a small winner into a much larger winner here by rolling it up. So because I have so much time left here, you can. I was looking at the February 25 by 28 call vertical here. By rolling it up to the February 25, 28, I can still trade that for about $1.66 credit, which means that I'm going to take about a 40-cent profit and still have this debit spread for free. Carter, this one still look good? Well, here's the thing. It's interesting. First of all, talk about home run. I mean, the stock is on a tear. How much of a tear, though? If you were simply looking at trend analysis, how far above whatever moving average you want to choose, in my case, the 150, Freeport has only in its history, going back to the mid-1990s, been this far above its 150-day moving average. It happened coming off the financial crisis low in 09. And just about this point is where it gave back a good 20 to 25%. Extended, we think you sell. Wow. All right. Up next, we got your tweets and the final call. Time for the final call. Carter. Stock market's up 15% year-to-date. Semis are up 51. Too far, too fast. Sell them. Tony. I like Broadcom going into earnings next week, selling a January 410, 390 put spread. Mike. Hedge your semi-exposure with an SMH put spread, and unfortunately, I don't think the dollar debasement is over. All right, that does it for us. Stay back here next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.